We're live. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, welcome back to the Invincible SC podcast. Um, we have a special episode today for a number of reasons. Um, one being we have a familiar face back with us recording today. His name's Connor. He's well, living welcome back, Connor. I don't remember. So that, that, that's part of it, the reason that he's here. Just a little bit. Uh, but we got a lot to cover today, man. Um, I think we'll go chron- chronological order. We can build some anticipation, and then we'll we'll obviously the big chunk is going to have to come at the end because what the hell happened yesterday? Mm. Um, and but, boy, and boy, am I happy to talk to you both. <laughs> we are happy to talk to you too, man. There's a lot to say. Oh yeah. Um, but let's let's take it one step at a time here. Quickly, 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 we can, and only saying this because I actually took a bunch of notes on this game thinking it was going to be one of the games of the weekend to discuss before what happened yesterday happened. Man City 2, Newcastle nil. (laughs) What a game. That was a heck of a game. Um, Newcastle took the fight to City. They played really bravely. Obviously, they got punished for it, but it was, it made it a really entertaining game to watch. Um I think a couple of notes that I made is that Callum Wilson is just not that good, and Alexander Isak should be starting for that team. That's fine. Um, and another note that I made is that I can't believe Anthony Gordon is a professional athlete. Um, and then one <laughs> of the mind going for fifty million. And one positive, just so people don't think I'm a total grump, Nathan Ake. Nathan Ake is a player I consistently underestimate. He really impressed me yes, uh, on Saturday, and it seems like every time I watch City, I'm like oh, this Ake kid's actually better than I thought. So um, I just want to give him his plaudits um, and and kind of throw that out there because I think he's been really good. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say before I let you guys get, get your teeth on this game is um, I was kind of sitting here thinking about the game. And I'm sat here thinking, as we discussed over text, Josh, I mean, this is the human rights violation derby right here. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And, Glad you brought and, it up. You're, you're pondering the future of Newcastle. <laughs> people are talking about what are Newcastle going to look like five years, ten years from now. The people think Man City are kind of a template for them. And I just am wondering what's going to happen, with, especially with the whole city cheating scandal and stuff. I mean, right now it's awkward enough when you, when you talk to somebody about soccer and then they have to tell you that they're a Man City fan. It's kind of like that moment when, like, somebody, like, they're usually either, like, a little bit embarrassed or, like, weirdly proud. It's kind of like when you find out someone's wearing a real fur coat. They're like, oh, yeah, I know I shouldn't. Or they're like, no, fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, But either way, they're just kind of glad that you don't mention the animals that died because of it. Mm -hmm. Same with it. City fans are glad you don't bring up the cheating or the human rights violations. You kind of just have nonverbal agreement there. Um, and I bet that, you know, <laughs> 10 years from now when there's a bunch of American Newcastle fans, it's going to be the same fucking kind of interaction. Yeah, a lot of emphasis on being like, I've been a Newcastle fan since the early 2000s. You know? <laughs> yeah, people, <laughs> I've been rooting for Newcastle since like 2010, man, or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many City fans you're talking to, but I can't say I've, I've met too many in my life. Um, he but, lives but, yeah, with one! At least real ones, at least real ones. He lives um yeah i mean i can't as for this match yeah i mean there's a lot there's a lot of repercussions and um interesting storylines to follow going forward from these two teams um i don't think i don't think city will end up being punished badly maybe a slap on the wrist uh maybe they just appeal for years to come and then get swept on the rug everybody forgets about it um but as for this match i didn't 
I didn't wake up for it. I'm sorry. I didn't. I saw the highlights. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think it, it seemed like a pretty good game. Newcastle were taking it to him, and they had actually a decent amount of chances. And I think you're a little harsh on Callum Wilson. I think he's a very good player. Um, maybe, yeah, I, I'm probably picking Isaac over him, but I don't think Callum Wilson – I think he deserves his own credit um, for how he's done this season and for Newcastle's turnaround um, and how consistent he's been in the Premier League. Um, Rodri is far and away, not far and away. He's, he's been the best, uh, number six in the Premier League for basically since Conte fell off. So the past four ish years, um, he's phenomenal. Um, got another assist, another man of the match performance. Um, what you say about Ake is a hundred percent true. I was a little bit skeptical when they signed him last year, um, or two years ago, I guess it was now. Uh, but he's been a rock solid at the back. Same with Akanji, another one I was a bit skeptical of, but they've both been phenomenal. Um, they really have. Ake has, what, like three goal line clearances just against Arsenal. Really pissing me off. But, um, but play left back, too. Yeah. yeah. We yep. saw that. We they saw just that moved for- into that position. Yeah. All right, Connor. Absolutely. So Josh thinks I was unfair to Callum Wilson, but surely you think I was fair to Anthony Gordon, right? I mean, I have nothing good to say about Anthony Gordon. <laughs> He's a Liverpool fan, it's fair. I can't, I can't imagine ever, yeah, no, complimenting him. So, yeah, I would agree with that assessment of Anthony Gordon. I mean, he spends more time on the on the pitch, like on the ground, than actually playing soccer. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I wrote. I want to be clear. I wrote this note down when he was driving at Kyle Walker, went to shoot the ball with his left foot, and ended up kicking it out of his own way with his right foot. <laughs> Um, you gotta love in that. Like, in what universe is a professional athlete of this caliber doing that? It just didn't make sense. <laughs> but all right, we we've probably spent more time on that game than it really. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a pretty routine two 0 for Man City, yeah. and, and as as exciting as Newcastle made it at points. Mm-hmm. Um, other pretty notable results from from Saturday. Um, I mean, there were there were a whole host of one nils that were. Yep quite frankly, all drab as hell. Uh, yep. We'll get those out of the way. Aston Villa won, Crystal Palace nil. Josh Fair usually picked Villa to win that game. Chelsea won, Leeds nil. I wouldn't call that a bounce-back game by any means, but I'm sure Chelsea fans will be happy to get a victory. That one's, yeah, that one's exactly how I drew it up. I don't know if you remember before in the in the predictions, I predicted a 1-0 Chelsea win, an ugly win, an ugly performance. It's exactly what happened. Pretty much. Um, Wolves. Well, Beating Tottenham one nil, um, just two relegation sides. <laughs> um, although no, no, to be fair, I think Wolves for a little bit better. Out of the relegation fight with that win, I disagree. One points with Crystal Palace, they're probably safe at this point. I disagree. They're uh, only like five points clear. Um, I think Palace definitely. Oh, <laughs> well, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, I'm just saying. I think I think even if Palace are level on points, um, they're they look much more comfortable. They're just not getting great results, but they're playing like a mid-table side. And I think Wolves are very inconsistent. They they they've had a few of those performances, especially lately. But overall, throughout the season, they've looked dismal. I mean, they they have what the second fewest goals in the league this season. They only have 19 goals. Um, actually, level in last with Everton. Um, and they don't have that much quality right now. I think they'll stay up, but I don't think they're out of it. That's not unfair, I suppose. I, I just I think 
level on points with Crystal Palace and with the kind of consistency that Wolves have had in the last, what, 10 years or so that they've been in the league. They've also been been for a few years. They've been struggling to score goals for several seasons now, yeah, and they they've always the scoring last year too. They've always managed to stay up. Yeah, but they had a they had a rock solid defense last season, and Jose Sa was debatably the goalkeeper of the year. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. But I don't know. I think they're used to being in the position that they're in, um, and I think they'll be able to. Fair enough. Fair well, enough. Two teams that are without a doubt still in the relegation scrap: Southampton one, Leicester nil. Not a lot to report there. I mean, I suppose it's surprising to see Southampton win, but that's the kind of game that, that they pull out a victory in. They have for years. And it's the reason that until recently, Josh insisted that they were not going down. Leicester? No, Southampton. Oh, yeah, yeah, Southampton. I mean, yeah, I think they're, I think they're definitely in it. They're certainly in the race to stay up. I mean, they're a point out. But um, I, I, I think this says more about Leicester. I think Leicester... This this match confirmed to me that they are finally in the relegation scrap, and I've been I've been defending them all year, saying okay, it's a bad season, but they're not going to be in it at, come come May, come April. Um, after this one, I think they're in it. I really do. It's it's, it's so poor. Yeah, I think they've taken Liverpool's inconsistency, but ramped it up by about a hundred. It's unreal, dude. They're yep. they're night and day watching that team game to game it's ridiculous absolutely um okay now we can talk about some fun games uh because the rest of the games from this match week were all pretty crazy to be fair um some decent ones right for west <laughs> hill we can we can be quick on this one too uh just because i'm not sure there's really all that much to say um but what a victory for brighton oh yeah um a trouncing. I mean, West Ham coming off a, a massive 4-0 victory against Forest, and they get 4 0 right back. Um, Brighton continue their run of form. They're in the FA Cup quarterfinals, playing League 2 Grims- Grimsby Town. I mean, barring a Cinderella win, they're into the semis. And then this, and uh, World Cup Mac is back, his first real, uh, real decisive performance since the World Cup. Um, Matoma continues to ball out well back back on it. I mean, they're, they are still a threat for Europe. They are. And West Ham right back down into jeopardy. Never underestimate that guy, Welbs. That guy. That guy, Welbs. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. We don't have to spend that much more time on that unless, Connor, you had a note. Uh, no, not really. All right, cool. Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2. Let's have some fun, Josh. Let's talk this. Let's talk Was that a good game? Because some stuff, some some stuff happened in this match. Did it? Um, I think at full time, I texted you and multiple other people. I now believe in miracles. Um, yeah, you said that. I, I, I'm not the, not really the dramatic type, but um, that seems like a bit of an understatement, no? Um, no. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be an understatement. Um, <laughs> that was as close to a miracle as you, it could get because I, I was depressed for 97 minutes. I mean, Ars- this has to be a record, by the way. Arsenal trailed for after nine seconds and led after 97 minutes. Has to be a record of some sort. I don't know what, but it is the second fastest goal in Premier League history. Um, and, I mean, we have so much to break down. So much to break down. Uh, should I go or you go? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I mean, I'll go first. I have some notes that, that okay. I, I have so much I'll, to say. I'll, so. I'll throw some stuff out there. Let me take a right, we'll, we'll try and compartmentalize it a little bit then so we don't overwhelm our listeners. Mm-hmm. Josh, thoughts? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, uh, I thought Bournemouth played well. I really did. I thought, um, you know, people are like, this is the performance of champions and stuff like that. And I, I, I loved the way that Arsenal played. I loved the aggression, the chances that we created, but we didn't defend like champions in this game one little bit. No. Bournemouth didn't just score two goals. If Ramsdale hadn't been Ramsdale, they would have scored maybe four. Like yep. it was leaky at the back. Um, and I mean, I think for that reason and exactly what I talked about in the weekend preview pod, which uh, to be fair, I don't know that many people listen to yet, but um it, I, I mean, I said, I, I think if Arsenal continues to play in these tight games week after week, surely the fatigue is going to set in eventually. And I was really hoping that this would be a comfortable 3-0 win over Bournemouth, and it was anything but that. And now I'm nervous that this, this young team is going to run out of steam eventually. Um, I don't know if emotionally they have the stamina necessary, necessary to take it all the way, um, and that concerns me. That being said, five points ahead with, what, 13, 12 games left in the season. You, you can't not back your boys. I think they look great. Um, to get the win out of this match, restored belief, again, in miracles from me and also in this team and the the, the power that they have. To hear this, the whole stadium stand up and, and cheer the team on when when Brent, uh, Jesus Bournemouth scored the second, I, I it was remarkable. It, it really it moved me in in a way. Um, I'm really proud of this club. I'm really proud of the supporters that were in in the stadium, and I'm I'm incredibly proud of the players. I mean, I, I second everything you just said. Um, and going back to your first point about it, it was a very leaky defensive performance, and Bournemouth did play well. And interesting on the stat uh, on the stat sheet, um, thirty one to four on shots, eighty to twenty in possession. 656 to 106 passes, 17 to 1 on corners, and yet Bournemouth had three big chances to Arsenal's two. It goes back to having, I think, too much creativity on, on the pitch. Um, and I, this is something I've spatted before. I think when Arteta, um, he, I don't know if he underestimated Bournemouth or thought that more creativity would be better in a match like this, um, but starting Vieira over Xhaka, I think, was a bad decision. Um, mm-hmm. I think... I think there is such thing as too much creativity, and that's why I've um, I've talked about often why the the traditional number ten roles has faded away. I think Odegaard is an exception, but I think it often clutters up the midfield. And uh, with Vieira and Odegaard in there, and I I think that happened. Um, and, and to credit Bournemouth, they weren't just playing the low block; they weren't just sitting in the entire time. They were countering, and they were countering well. And yes, Ramsdale was heroic. And Bournemouth easily could have won this match. Um, and they could have scored more than two goals. Uh, I think um, this would have been a disastrous result. And, and I think on one hand, it shows Arsenal's resili- resiliency. Um, it's their fifth comeback win of the season. It shows the incredible identity that they have. But on the flip side, I think what you what you mentioned in the last pod about um, about that they need more easy matches, more matches they control from the beginning, from the get-go, don't really stress over it and just have fun like against Everton. Um, I think, you know, that they could suffer, suffer this type of burnout like you were talking about from all these character wins that, that are amazing, amazing feelings, but they can't do it every time. They really can't. 
Um, and then I want to I want to shout some people out. Of course, Reese Nelson, five goal contributions in less than 90 minutes, only 85 minutes played this season. Um, one early sub, two goals and assist against the Forest, and then one late sub in instant assist, and then the 97th minute absolute banger uh, to win it. Um, I think he needs a real shot, and I don't think Arsenal needs to even be looking for any other attacker or any wingers at least um, in the transfer market. Smith Rowe with his first assist, Ben White with his first goal. Um, I think Tomiyasu lost his confidence um, not playing week in, week out, but Ben White is definitely the solidified uh, starting right back. Um, yeah, Tomiyasu important yeah. a few times. Also, yep. uh, real quick, want to insert White while we're – well, Smith Rowe is still fresh in people's minds. He's going to score five goals in the league this year. Thank you very much. I, I he will right. five goals before the end of the year. Hopefully, that assist that he had can really jumpstart his season, and and I think it's absolutely possible, especially back. with what's going on with this team. I think he's going to come um, back in three, and the only person who's going to be hungrier than him is Jesus. Continue. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think. Call me biased. Call me biased. But this is one of the most likable Premier League teams ever. I, I I genuinely think that this may it may be biased, but I mean, if you go throughout the entire club, you look at the manager. It's a young, fresh, passionate manager, a players' manager, somebody who's for the fans, a former club captain and a tactical genius, like thirty-eight years of age. Um, you look at the squad, youngest in the Premier League, the best youth in the world. You look at the character of the team. I mean, it's resilient. They win thrillers. They feed off the crowd. They play for one another. And just the yeah. story, It's it was a big club that was in the dumps. They had a banter error. They were hated. They, they had Deadwood players. It was just a terrible overall culture. Um, back. And they kept failing, even last season. And they trusted the process. They invested in the youth. And they had a spontaneous rise. And then the personal stories, you know, you, you look at resilience of some players, uh, the patience of guys like Nelson and Nketiah, um, players fighting through injuries, Martinelli's story, um, Osaka's story. I mean, there's there's so many different um, personal stories to it. And then, they, you know, they they were they were big underdogs going into the season. They were not they were heavily favored not to win the league. Um, it was something like one to th- 30 to one odds, 21, 25 to one odds, um, nothing like Leicester, but after Leicester, it's right up there. Um, and they're Josh, giving Josh, hope. Josh, Josh, yeah? Josh, don't insult our team by comparing us to Leicester, please. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that other than them, there haven't been many teams in recent years with lower odds to win. And yeah, we're nothing like Leicester. We're nothing like Leicester. But I think that this is just one of the most likable teams for so many different reasons. Um, and they're giving hope to the non-oil clubs that they can still compete. And it just seems scripted. All right, Connor, come ran on our parade for a second. Josh, I have just one counterpoint to your very likable squad. Go for it. Uh, Granite Jaka. What? He's <laughs> the most likable story of them all. That's the most likable story of them all. His turnaround is, definitely, is incredible. For people that dislike Arsenal, he's a bit of a Bruno Fernandez figure. Yeah, I don't think... Coming from the Arsenal perspective, I think, I think you're going to have a very different view of Granit Xhaka than the rest of the league. I mean, for the rest of the league, Granit Xhaka is still Sergio Ramos light when it comes to red cards and, and that sort of thing. So He I gets would... like one red card a season, though. He's he's a changed man. I, I understand it a year ago. No, like three years ago. 
I don't understand him anymore. I mean, yeah, he's passionate, but Jacques is that's tough all I can say nails. about him anymore. Jacques is tough as nails, and you and I are, are always bound to see it as him being tough as nails. And people who are rooting for teams that compete against our cl- our team are always going to are always going to see it as kind of rough and maybe a little bit below the belt. That's just kind of the nature of competitive sports. Same I, reason why I love Andy Robertson and anyone who's not a Liverpool fan hates Andy Robertson. I don't. I I, I like Andy Robertson. I actually would say I'm pretty neutral on Andy. If I were an Everton fan, yeah, I'd hate him, but I like him. If I were a Man U fan, I'd hate him right now too. <laughs> um, um, I thought you were gonna say Thomas Partey because that one would make a little more sense. Thomas Partey um, of a blemish on the squad. Yeah, but that's I think that's the one that the I think. Of, I think in the field of play, Jack is probably the most abrasive character because I mean I think on the pitch he's Thomas, polarizing. Thomas Partey's a joy to watch. I mean, he's a he's a magician, not a magician. Yeah. He's a he's a, he's a he's a metronome in a way. Like he's just everywhere you need him to be consistent, yeah. always on the beat. It's mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous to watch. So I mean, I, yeah. I don't. I think it's interesting. I think to say individually, like there are amazing stories in the Arsenal squad. Individually, there are amazing stories in probably every sports team in the entire world. Just because I mean, the nature of professional athletes. So many of them grow up poor. So many of them have to, right. to be great. Absolutely. Ed- there and I mean Gabby Martinelli is an amazing story of coming from the fourth tier of Brazilian soccer straight Arsenal and and hitting the ground running. You know what I mean? So I, I think, I mean I think here's what I'll say to you. Uh, I've heard a lot of non-Arsenal fan pundits say that they like this team. So mm. I think you're you're barking up the right tree there. I don't want to pile on and become the second Arsenal fan to start. You know just praising how, how amazing our squad is and how much everyone should love us because then we're going to sound like Liverpool three years ago. Um, and I don't want to be that. So I'm just going to leave it there. Well, that was a very lucky I think there are people out there that probably agree with that statement. I'm sorry for taking that dig at you, Connor. Yeah, I one more thing. I was just I about just... to compliment you guys too, but I'll, just, I'll, I'll keep it in. I, won't say it now. <laughs> I, think, I think just one more thing to point out about that is just that, that you know, no matter how likable a certain team is, I think the rival fans will always hate, will always hate that team. And that's completely fair. So yeah. I think, I think you're going to have to accept that even, you know, in those right. circumstances. But now anyway, let's talk about go. someone that probably every single human being on the planet hates right now. And his name is Bruno Fernandez. That we can all get behind. Because dude, what the hell happened yesterday? I'm going to be honest. I don't hate Bruno Fernandez right now. Bruno Fernandez, my guy, what a game yesterday! <laughs> Completely bald. Could yeah, to be fair, man of the match could easily be Liverpool's man of the match. I mean, his body language was horrendous. I was his leadership was non-existent. I was, I'm not a United fan. I don't like United. I love. I was laughing at the entirety of the bit of the match that I watched before I turned it off to play video games because I was bored. But, I mean. Yeah, he he let his entire organization down yesterday. And if you're going to wear the captain's armband, it has to be better than that. Yeah, I I think there there was one play that I noticed. I I hate him as well. Um, and I've been very open about that before. Um, it furthered it yesterday. And I think um there was one play um when an 18 year old uh Bychetich, is that how you say his name? I don't want to say it wrong. Bychetich. By yeah. Chetish, yeah. By Chetish. Um, he beat him down the line. Nice move. Um, and Bruno just stopped. He was right in front of him, and he just stopped. He watched, and he gave up on the play. 
Um, with all the talent he has, and he does have a lot of talent, he's a he's a diver. He complains and he doesn't really work that hard, especially when things aren't going his way. And you compare him with a guy like Odegaard, and it's just it's just levels. Um, I think he's a pussy, and I think he's a disgrace. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. I I don't think that those words should be reserved just for Bruno. I think what we're, what what is happening right here in this podcast is happening in podcasts across the entire soccer universe right now. Uh, and Bruno is, I mean, I, I think scapegoated is, is a tough word for it because I think he should bear a massive amount of responsibility and he behaved, not only did he play shamefully, but he behaved shamefully yesterday and he will probably be banned for the FA for touching that official. Um, but I, I mean, I think I, the whole squad was just horrendous. Like there Absolutely. was, I, Anthony was horrible. Obviously the defense was terrible um i i think i've probably rewatched most Salah putting lissandra martinez on his ass like six seven hundred times that was hilarious i always I, I was dude that was so funny and i'm not somebody that necessarily wants to see Salah do amazing this year but dude <laughs> so funny um i think i can now safely say that 12 goals was probably a little bit lower than what yeah Salah's now that that is He's at 11 right now. But he was at nine before this match. And were this match not the outlier that it was, that prediction would look a lot smarter than it does. However, I will concede he's going to score more than 12 goals in the league this year, most likely. Um, Until you see me running onto the field and slide tackling him after he scores a goal so I can injure him like like that fan did at seven. Um, Klopp, the angriest man alive at that moment and justifiably I think this is the second incident we've seen, at least. This is the second incident I've seen live with my own eyes on the TV, like watching live of a fan breaching the field of play and making contact with a player and not just like gently. Like, I mean, the first incident I'm thinking of is we're all thinking of it is Ramsdale getting kicked in the back at White Hart Lane. Um, and then to see this as well, I mean, it shouldn't be twice in the season that fans are getting onto the to the field and, and, you know, one was attempting to harm a player physically and the other one accidentally actually did. And so, I mean, it's disturbing. It it bothers me. I don't, I don't know if there's anything that's going to be done about this, but I feel like, you know, we found out that, Oh, there's, there's an FA investigation into Bruno Fernandez getting a ban for, for, for pushing the official. I think that's warranted, but I think that the bigger storyline should be that there was a guy on the field who didn't belong out there, who injured somebody at their line in their line of work. Yeah. The fan has been banned for life and Liverpool is investigating it. Um, so I don't know if we would make it to the FA, but Liverpool seems to be handling the situation themselves. Good. All right. Um, yeah. Go on. Sorry. I would just like to focus more on like a joyous note from the game. <laughs> Seven nil. <laughs> Seven nil. It's absolutely amazing. Oh my goodness. Um, believe it. I so believe it. And the last time Manchester United scored against Liverpool at Anfield, Jose Mourinho was the manager of Manchester United. <laughs> Jesus. So that's a while ago, and I don't. I just have to talk about um, Eric Ten Hag's comments before the game, saying going to Anfield is no different from anywhere else, and. I do think I, I'll 
I will say I do think some Liverpool fans do exaggerate the power of Anfield, but it is a difficult stadium to go to, just as Old, Old Trafford is a difficult stadium to go to. I remember watching a game earlier this season um, at Old Trafford, and I knew it was going to be a difficult game. I knew it wasn't going to be like the routes last season because in those first 15, 20 minutes, every time a Manchester United player put their foot right, won a challenge, got their foot on the ball, knocked a Liverpool player on the ball, anytime something went right, the crowd was in it. The crowd was screaming for them. The crowd was pushing them forward. And I knew like the crowd's in this so much that this is going to be a tough game. And like you have to like if you go to Old Trafford, if you go to Stamford Bridge, if you go to the Emirates, you you go to Anfield, you have to knock the home team and their fans off off their rhythm. You you need to silence the crowd. Manchester yeah. United just could not do that, um, yeah. and we couldn't do that in the reverse fixture. But they could not do that. They went down, and then yeah, you saw everyone's shoulders slumped and it was game over. Yeah, to expand on your point about home grounds, I think it's so interesting to see in the Premier League the way that that fluctuates from team to team. And it's not necessarily always just like the big six clubs that have fortresses. Yes, the Emirates is becoming more and more of a fortress as we go here. Arsenal's home form in the last five years has been way better than it ever was in the past. Um, At least at this stadium, Highbury is a different matter. Um, but, I mean, you even, even teams like Everton, like, Goodison Park is a bear pit. Yeah. It's an absolute bear pit. Yeah, no, I, like, I don't think you can take going into an opposing team's ground for granted. Like, it has an effect on the game. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it was a little bit silly for Ken Hogg to make those comments because you don't need a light of fire under any Liverpool player's ass before the game. You don't need a light of fire under Jurgen Klopp's ass before like before the game or the Liverpool fans, because that's going to be the people that are going to read that and take it to heart the most. And they're going to show up to try to prove you're wrong, prove you wrong. And I just think it was silly for him to do that before the game. All right. Speaking of pre-match comments and Josh, I'm going to pass this one off to you. When I ask you this question, you can take it anywhere you want. You can ignore my question and talk about something else. Mm-hmm. You've got something on your mind. Um, but Anthony before the game, was quoted as saying, I've played in big games like this before. I'm ready. Has he ever played in a game this big in his life? I mean, he's he's been – he didn't go to the World Cup, did he? He did. He played he, a little. He played, World Cup. he played in the World Cup. So, I mean, has he played in a game that big? Yeah, he might have. He wasn't ready, though. I can tell you that. Um, that- I don't have that much to say on Anthony. Uh, I didn't expect him to to do that much, and he didn't do that much. Um, I think there's a lot to say on a lot of other players. He definitely wasn't ready. Um, I think. I think. Uh, Make around. Yeah. Call names. What? Call your names out. Let's hear. Yeah. You um, first of all, Connor, what you were saying about like, you know, with Anfield being a fortress, um, like, in the past few years. Arsenal has gone there and I've expected to lose four nil. It's I've, like, it's, it's been, it's been that bad where um, when it was, I think it was five nil. I texted somebody else. I was like, Oh, this is, this isn't even that crazy. This is like an average scoreline of an Arsenal match here in the past five, six years. Um, and I think the interesting thing about this one is that it was, it was, it was one nil at the half. It was nil nil for the first 40 minutes. 
Um, and it wasn't that uneven. I think United had a lot of chances, perhaps even the better ones in the first half, and then they just fell apart. And I, it obviously, you know, they're obviously not seven goals worse, but um, I think with with United, they're. I, I said it before the pod. I said I said if they won at Anfield and they won at St James Park, then I'd consider them the title race. But they were never in the title race. That never existed. Um, and they've been in great form since the World Cup. Um, but they've only beaten one big team. That was Man City. And so they were never that convincing, to be honest. Um, they beat Man City, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, they shouldn't have. That first goal should not have stood. Um, you look at their back line. People have been calling this the best center back pair in the league. And, and that was pretty insulting to many different center back pairs. Um, I think Martinez, Lissandra Martinez was humbled. I mean, you, you, Pat, you mentioned look, watching, you know, Salah just completely work him many times. Um, I think he's been carried by, by Varane and I don't think Varane is what he once was. Nice. He's, he's on the wrong side of 30. Um, the low was the only one I, I defended as United's like one average defender. Um, he was standing inside the goal on the seventh. I mean, what are you doing here? And then, and then Luke Shaw, he, I cannot understand what people see in Luke Shaw. They're putting him in their team of the seasons as the best left back in the league. I can name eight left backs ahead of him this season. Zinchenko, Andy Robinson, Robertson, uh, Nathan Ake, Ivan Perisic, Estupinian, Jedi Robinson, Ben Chilwell, who's played half the season, Luca Dina, and then you can look at guys like Tyreek Mitchell, like Jordan Zamora. I mean, I think you can keep, you can keep going down. Shaw is, is not good and has never been good. He's had one above-average season a couple of years ago, and he scored that one goal in the Euro final. He's not a good player. De Gea sucks, and we shouldn't forget about that. And I will continue to say that until he is replaced at United. I talked about Bruno Fernandes. I think Casemiro is the one player who can hold his, hold his head high because he continues to fight. He scored an offside goal. He played in, I think it was Anthony. Um, and that's what I have to say about United. Nothing more. But I think there is, there are incredible positives for Liverpool. Um, Gakbo, absolutely, he's arrived. He's a baller. Um, yeah, and he, both goals were incredible. The first one, I mean, amazing take. Great cut inside. Great curl into the, into the bottom corner. Second one was stupendous. I could not believe he, he squeaked that in. That was incredible um and he um he's fighting off the bust allegations pretty quickly um and then a big day for nunez who's finally getting his goals he's he's always been a great player just struggled in front of goal um it was only a matter of time i think what's that yeah he's pretty good he's a decent player (laughs) um better than holland though um i mean Salah, he's inevitable i mean yeah he was gonna uh, surpass your prediction but he's inevitable He's, he's a great player. He's a superstar. Um, and then I want to shout out Andy Robbins, Robertson again, Harvey Elliott, Bicetic, really good young player, and then Firmino on his farewell tour. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Bobby Chompers, goodbye to Anfield. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that was the, like, obviously, you know, seven goals was, like, historic and everything, but I don't think anyone at Anfield was – like, I don't think a better player could have scored that goal than Bobby Firmino. I think that's yeah. what we were waiting for. That's what we wanted to see. Um, like, he's given everything to this club. And I think 
yeah, there's no fan that would do anything but just like wish him well. Um, yeah, real. Do you consider him a legend of the club? Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, Divock he's, done, he's done it all. He's a legend all. of the club. Divock uh, huh? is a legend of the club. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> he scored some big hero. goals, but yeah. come on. But Bobby Camino <laughs> is yeah, definitely a legend. I mean, twenty-seven, eighteen to eighteen, nineteen. Uh, like was probably part of the most dangerous trio in mm-hmm. football. I don't like. I think you know maybe like non-Liverpool fans might forget about Bobby Firmino eventually, but I think Liverpool fans will always have him in his, in their hearts. He's currently the like highest scoring Brazilian in the Premier League. Um, like that's an impressive feat. Um, Somebody doesn't play much. Yeah, and that's not been the focal point of his game either. But he still managed to get that record. So, yeah, yeah, he's definitely going to be a Liverpool legend. I mean, he already is. But, um, and I would just also, yeah, like to mention the midfield for Liverpool. Um, that was the biggest difference this game. Obviously, like the finishing is something that we've missed this season, and that's that was probably the most noticeable. But from like a Liverpool fan's perspective, like seeing the midfield perform like that was probably the biggest takeaway of the game. And, mm. like, you, we are going to question, like, can they do this week in, week out? Probably not. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting because um, Harvey Elliott and Jordan Henderson both usually play on the right side. Um, but because Harvey Elliott's in the midfield, um, you have to put Jordan Henderson on the left. They both played great. Fabinho played great. We haven't seen any of those guys play that well, I think, this season. Um, and that, I think, is partially what won us the game, is, like, our midfield completely outperformed theirs. And, um, yeah, it was great to see. The thing is, like, I think they can play like that uh, consistently because, I mean, they have. Only, only this year have they really dropped in form. And... Um, they've definitely picked it back up. They had a kind of a snoozer against Palace, but five clean sheets in a row that is now. And now they're getting the goals in. I mean, hopefully, for your sake, they didn't. They, you know, they didn't use up all their goals for for uh, a big comeback in Madrid. But um, I think it's going to keep on rolling, and I think Liverpool are favorites for top four now. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. agree with that. It's it's hard to not see them qualifying for top four. All right, so I think we're all in agreement on what the rest of Liverpool's season is likely to look like, or at least somewhat of an idea. Um, we put the United thing to bed a little bit earlier. Repercussions, though, at Man United. Quick thoughts on on this one sentence. Ideas? Will they will they be okay? How are they going to play against Bet or something? I think they continue. They're they're still playing in two different competitions besides the Premier League, so it's going to be they're still not playing very many Premier League games lately, and they're going to have a lot of making up to do. Um, I I think they could drop into the top four race. I genuinely do. I, I got to see what they do against – they got to take care of business against Southampton, and then it's going to be a tough one at St. James Park. We'll see. Yeah. My – I wouldn't call it a concern because um, I'm not concerned about whether – I'm not concerned about – Man United playing well. Um, that's that never gives me worry. I, I always hope they play poorly, 
But I think if you're a United fan, your concern would be how long can Rashford keep his form? Because he is playing out of his mind right He's now. Carrying. Um, and if if he has a dip in form, then I think that's that's what I'm worried about. If if you're a United fan, is when his dip in form comes, what are we gonna do? Who's gonna step up? Will we have that's answers? That's a good. Yeah. Point. A good yep. Point. Yeah, I think he's carrying, and and he needs help. It's him and Casemiro, really, right? Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely correct. And like, yeah, he's a great player, but every great player is going to have a dip in form eventually. Yep. And he's been playing excellent in a time of year when a lot of players do have a dip in form. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to see it come come April or May because that's when the races for top four title positions heat up. And, you know. It's if, when everything's decided, man. Yeah. It's, when, it's, when it's, it's not a matter of if. Like, I think it's just a matter of when it comes. Yeah, it will. This could be the catalyst. It might not be. We'll have to see. Um, I do think United will beat Betis on Thursday, but I think they're due for a draw at Southampton. I think they take uh, care of business against Southampton, but we'll talk about that then. We'll talk about that later this week on our predictions episode. Um, we've probably bored people with our voices long enough. Um, anybody quick notes on the Forest Everton draw or today's Brentford? I mean, today's match was yeah. a heck of a game. Um, I didn't get to watch it because I was at work, but I saw some of the Forest Everton game, and uh, I've got to be honest with you, that was a very high level of play from two teams that I don't really think very highly of. Um, so I enjoyed watching the the part the portion that I did, and um, yeah, I. I I don't think either team is better off for that situation, but I think they both played some good football in it. And it, it reminded me of the level that this league actually is at. All I need to say about that one is I think Brennan Johnson is a superstar. Yep. He was incredible. Um, and that all year. He's carrying them. And then for Brentford, um, they keep it rolling. <laughs> they're also a threat for Europe. Um, interestingly enough, they they have the joint second fewest defeats uh, alongside Man City with just four. To put in perspective, Spurs are in the top four and have nine defeats. That is just crazy for me to think about. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, great to see Newcastle uh, down to sixth. We'll see if they keep falling. I don't know. Um, oh, also one more thing. Uh, nine, just just a fun fact. Nine of ten home teams won this weekend, um, and only there are only six away goals. Um, and there were two from Everton, two from Bournemouth, and two from Fulham. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Wow. What do you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess Forrest is the only home team that didn't win because they drew. Correct. That's crazy. They almost did. Yeah. You know. Wild. Yeah. Wild. What a well, weekend. What a weekend. Football fans will have a lot on their plate this week. Uh, we got Champions League and Europa League matches coming up this this next few days, and uh, you'll get at least two or three of us back on Friday to talk <laughs> a bit about the uh, upcoming Premier League action. Um, boys, it's Sounds been a good. pleasure. It has awesome. indeed. Um, Connor, uh, thanks for coming on. Oh yeah, always a pleasure. Yeah, Connor, thank you for joining us. Um, I'll just leave the audience with a little bit of uh, something for uh, food for thought just something kind of insightful. 
um, Mope, you're a cheat. And <laughs> I hope Everton get up. Is that our, is that our outro now? Until Mope is on team that gets relegated, I'm going to say. <laughs> and if he retires without being relegated, then it's going to become permanent. <laughs> we'll have to see. I Like I said, I hope I hope Everton get relegated. Oh, God. All right, Josh. You have a nice night, bro. Totally agree. You too, bro. Peace. Good.